Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Nathan Brooks is a seasoned and industry-proven multi-million dollar investor with over 15 years of vetted real estate investing experience. He is the co-founder and CEO of Bridge Turnkey Investments, a Kansas City-based company renovating and selling more than 150 turnkey properties per year. Known for his educational content, he helps others learn about and succeed in real estate investing as a speaker, writer, and coach. His first book, The No Quitter's Guide to Investing in Real Estate and Living an Extraordinary Life, is set to be released in January of 2023, where he imparts his real estate expertise to anyone interested in expanding their long-term goals, creating an effective three-year plan, and building a real estate portfolio. For real estate investors looking for the right investment strategies and tactics to reach their goals without losing money, this is the much-needed guide that can cultivate that vision. Hello, welcome to People of Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Tanner Badgley, and today I'm with Nathan Brooks, the author of The No Quitter's Guide to Investing in Real Estate, Crushing Your Extraordinary Life, (laughs) The No Quitter's Guide. Yep. We're here in Kansas City in uh, one of my mentor's studios talking with a real estate mentor. As you guys know, I have a real estate investing company, and Nathan Brooks is someone that is well ahead of me on his journey with that. He's built a very successful company, multiple companies that went through multiple phases, multiple stages, all sorts of things. And um, underneath it all is a sense of purpose and mission. He's now written his book about this, and we're really excited to dissect it and uh, just jump into Nathan's mind and learn about what it takes to be a people of purpose in real estate. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me and excited to be here and talk about it. Cool. Yeah. So um, I know you wrote the book and you've had a lot of feedback from people. Is there something that's been surprising to hear that you didn't really consider in all the feedback, something that you've learned Hmm. from the feedback you've gotten from the book? You know, I think feedback wise, it's has been, you know, people who are also trying to find their own, own path and understand like how to create that in their own life. Mm-hmm. And so just, I think I, I continue to hear surprise of vulnerability in the book and things that, you know, either went wrong or what were challenges. And so, you know, to be able to line those things up in a book and be able to make it something that's not only, you know, my goal was to really make it not just a real estate one one book, but like, how do I legitimately have, you know, find purpose in what I want to do utilize real estate as a as a tool Mm. to do that and you know i think people get wrapped up in money versus just what like what what do i really want to do what do i really want this thing to look like and so that from the beginning of writing it that was you know my intention and so the feedback i've gotten is hey i i can see how you what you're talking about i appreciate the vulnerability of that and and then i'm excited to you know go through the process you know of of doing that so that's been really cool. Cool. Yeah, the vulnerability piece made it for a really good read. I think that it was really easy to read. Like you, you lay out your, the words really well. Um, it was really easy to speed through. And then you started these chapters with these stories that were really vulnerable. 
Um, yeah. Sharing about bankruptcy really early on in the book, I thought like hit me. You're just like you lost like your sense of manhood. Your your wife was depending on you. You didn't know where where you were going with it. You couldn't find anyone that would lend you any money anymore. It was just spiraling out of control downward. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think little vignettes like that like helped to really ground the lessons that you were talking about in the book. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It, you know, it, it was interesting because on the back cover, it says something about you know bankruptcy or whatever. And and uh, my wife was reading through it the other day, and she's like, "So that's on the cover, like great, yeah. Yeah, here we are." But it's like you know, in martial arts training, you know, you get punched in the face, and you get a black eye. You know, my coach always talked about it being a trophy, and uh, I'm like, "That's a trophy, you know, it's a trophy. That that that's something that in the end, it's a lesson. It's a trophy. It." you know, transformed what that experience was from like, hey, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So you're not going to just live in and suffer in it. But what, you know, how do you take that as a tool to propel you to do something, you know, from it? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you got invest started in real estate, like what was the reason that you chose? Did you have the purpose thing in mind first in the mission or did you have to make that from real estate? Like what's the order that that happened in? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. So since I was like seventh, eighth grade, my, my dad is a minister. I had uncles and ministers and my sister's now a chaplain in a you know, hospital. Well, he, he technically was a chaplain as well. But wow. um, so I grew up in the church, grew up in, you know, the experience of going. And uh, the first time I ever went overseas was in Venezuela. And I was literally during El Nino, uh, we're playing in the ocean. But, you know, the biggest part of this experience was we were there literally, you know, a hundred people mixing concrete in buckets on the side of, you know, this incredible place people that had virtually nothing and i and i was reminded wow we are so lucky here you know we, we got the golden ticket to to be in the united states and so ever since then i've i've always been motivated to help and i've done many many you know mission trips and and it's funny because you always expect to go and help and, and be someplace and you know make an impact but really it's the impact on you mm. <laughs> and you almost feel like or i i almost feel like it's you know I have the desire to make mm-hmm. an impact, but you know, did I really walk away with more and uh, almost like a feeling of guilt? Like, gosh, you know, th- th- this changed my life mm-hmm. for this experience. And so I made a, a decision to myself to say, hey, as I have more financial wealth, I have more opportunity to help other people. And so I, and I look for those ways to, to help people, whether it's a small amount of money and a guy on the side of the road that, you know, is homeless or, you know, people that have bigger issues. And, and then, of course, parts of our city, too. We have, we have so many cool organizations that do cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Has that always been a part of your ethos or did that have to become like a habit of the mind to be like, I'm not doing this for me to get wealthy. I'm doing this so that I can be like a, a vessel for this wealth to, to bless others. I think it's transformed over time. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's easy, you know, especially early on when you start making some more money because, you know, I was a broke musician. So mm-hmm. I was playing music professionally for a long time. And when I met my wife, she's a school teacher and she made more money than I did. And, uh, and so I definitely did not have that. And I think, I think a lot of people have a hard time. I'm sure not everybody, but you start to make more money. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to, you know, utilize that, that thing that's a tool? Um, and it's easy to go, you know, buy dumb things, which believe me, I did and have in it. You know, it's, it's fun to, you know, buy a nice car or buy a nice house or whatever, but at some point, the realization of like, hold on, there's only so much we really need as people. Mm-hmm. And then we have the opportunity to do that. And, and I think it's changed over time. But also, you know, my hope is that continues to change over time. 
and I continue to learn, like, how do I do a better job of, of helping other people? And how do I do a better job of managing my own money and using it, you know, more and more as a, as a tool. So money became this tool for you to access like your greater purpose. It wasn't like you were wealthy already and then you need to figure out what to do with it. Exactly. Was your intention like in seventh and eighth grade when you're on this type of trick to eventually get wealthy to, to help with this? Yeah, I would say, you know, I don't know if that trip specifically, but I remember b- being in high school and uh, I used to travel and do these church camps all over the country. And uh, we would fly and there's a group of kids in high school and we'd literally have a thousand kids show up at this big event. So we'd plan this big event and I, I get to conduct choirs and I get to, you know, play music and lead music for you know, a thousand people. And, uh, and I just remember like, gosh, I want to have something where I can give away a million dollars a year and have it in perpetuity and it'd be like the nonprofit for nonprofits. So like a nonprofit has a cool idea, but they don't, they have a you know financial uh, competency. So we have a CFO type person that they can bring in or they need a marketing and, and branding design. So we have a you know, someone that could come in and really work through as a marketing professional. And mm-hmm. so that's always been on my brain of how, like, how do you make an impact in business too, honestly, and in my own personal life, what, what's the 80, 20 that gives the most leverage and, and does the greatest amount of good. Yeah. And you landed on real estate investing as your mm-hmm. primary of primary thing. You didn't talk about building nonprofits in your book so much. You talked yeah. about your mostly bridge turnkey. It seems like, yeah. What can you explain just to the audience, like what it is that you do and how you access purpose in your business? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I started in real estate by accident. So I'd read the Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, book, which you know how many people has read that book. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know when I think about that book and I think about you know, writing my own book too, is like, there were things out of that book approaching it, you know, 20 years later that I I wanted more from. And so I I was hoping to bring some of that in my book. You know, that was my prayer and hope. But I was literally at a restaurant and overheard a guy talking about real estate and walked over, had this conversation. And literally like three weeks later, I'm in business, in a real estate business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not my greatest moment. And uh, it didn't go very well either. So there's multiple, multiple issues. This guy stopped showing up. And uh, so to say like I got in real estate and I had this great vision is not true. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's the opposite. Uh, It was, it was failure and uh, desire for creating something, but you know, really have no, I didn't have any direction. And so I met my partner in 2015. And uh, so the goal was to start buying houses, holding houses. And we ended up in essence, building a turnkey company that we would buy them, renovate them and sell them to investors all over the country and all over the world, really. And so we did, you know, 700 houses in six years or so, which is kind of crazy to think about. And uh, that kind of morphed also into saying, you know, even over the last year and a half, two years and through COVID, it's like, hey, do I really want to flip all these houses and sell all these houses um, and have this huge organization? Or do I want to have something that's a little more simple and that we're, we're helping build our wealth and our team's wealth and our clients. And that it's more uh, in line to actually solve the problems that I wanted to. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's been an interesting journey over the last you know, year or so as I've really thought more about that. And how do we, again, leverage our opportunity and our brand and, um, and create more wealth and more opportunity with 
with a small footprint. Yeah, I noticed reading your book that there's um, all these little vignettes about how like what seemed to be underlying it was that you wanted to teach people how to do this. Mm-hmm. And, like Bridge Turnkey, we, we, you would find these investors that like are you know normal corporate people or whatever and they're looking to to buy a, you know five or ten properties and get them paid off and be millionaires yep. you have like a lot of stories like that so you're saying that that was a big part of your purpose for a while and now it's switching to more of like your internal like kind of team and tribe nowadays yes yeah. absolutely and, and even thinking about the book one of the things that i think we really lack in in the real estate world in that culture is just there's a lot of the hustle and grind mentality or flashiness and stuff, but I don't think it, it doesn't serve the purpose of what I believe most people want, which is they want to be fulfilled and they want to do something that they enjoy and they want to have opportunities that are special and do cool stuff. Because, you know, you think about you buy something and you get that, you know, initial hit of excitement, but what happens after it? You have to Mm -hmm. go get another hit and another hit versus, you know, I was in Idaho a month or two ago on a on a backcountry hunt, literally riding horses on the side of a mountain with a thousand foot drop for seven days, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And they literally call it Frank Church, a wilderness river of no return. Uh, <laughs> that's the name of the of it. It's like 2.3 million acres. And, you, wow. you know, we flew on a plane for an hour going 100 miles an hour. And there's literally nothing but, you know, mountains and trees. And so in here I am talking about that, right? Yeah. Th- those moments that we can create. You're not focused on hustling, grinding no. your business at all. No. And, and, you know, the byproduct of taking those moments is also, guess what you do? You have eight hours a day on a horse being quiet because you're um, elk hunting and look, you know, you see, you have to be quiet and you have all this time for internal processing and thinking yeah. and pondering and meditation or please God, don't let this horse fall off this mountain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so you get to have this, this experience that is forever, you know, ingrained in your, in your, uh, in your life. And so that's what it's like. I wanted to redirect and give an opportunity for people to like, okay, what do I actually want to do? And then how can I create more, more material, more education, more opportunity for people to then take that book and say, okay, well, how do I work through and actually do this? Hmm. So I don't want to just write a book and I don't want it to be like a top, top of funnel lead that, you know, free plus shipping. No, I wanted to write a legitimate book with legitimate uh, desire to make a massive impact Yeah, and then back it up. You had this line in the book that I, that I wrote down that really stood out. It's like, success is about creating the time to live quietly inside yourself. Mm. I really like that line. It's like I was saying before we started the recording is like, I started becoming an entrepreneur when I was in Thailand having, I had like a membership to like the float tank stuff and I was getting yeah. massages weekly and money was no, not an issue because it cost like 500 bucks a month to live there. Um, I was in love. I was like finding like my business partner. We were in book clubs. We were going hiking all the time. Like I understand what that feels like to like be able to like live with yourself so, so intimately and you feel close to God. And then you get into business and the culture of business, especially in the real estate entrepreneur space, is just like, you got to grind it out. You got to make those calls. You got to hit these KPIs. And we've struggled with that as a company. Like we, our, our roots are in what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But then as you're going and you have payroll and you have expenses, you find this <laughs> pressure coming up. Yep. It's yep. been really interesting to like watch how we've kind of resisted it and gone with it. And I'm curious just how, how your journey has been with that. I mean, you were, you were preaching my same experience and, uh, you know, I look back at August of 21 and 
you know, my overhead was, you know, like a quarter million dollars a month. Dang, that's a lot. Just to, just to keep that thing rolling. And, uh, and I remember thinking like, gosh, the more deals we do right now, I feel like the less money we make and the less fun, like the fun quotient and the, you know, all those was so much lower. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you think about, or I, I think about all these different businesses that I have friends that run and they're huge and, uh, you know, the fun quotient in most of those guys' lives is pretty low. And, um, you know, and I think there's, I know a few that do have, you know, huge businesses that are making tons of money and I think they're very happy people. But in the, you know, in majority of those cases, I haven't, I haven't seen that. Yeah. And it's like, when I, I had this realization that uh, I'm not enjoying flipping all these houses, like it's not fun. And it, you know, when you have that overhead, then you've got to buy houses and you got to buy more stuff and you got to put it in there. And then you're like, do I need another body to help produce this, this result? Uh, and so, you know, writing the book was cathartic in that way too, because it was like, hold on, man, like let's take our own medicine here and work back through. So, you know, we drastically reduced the size of our business in a really painful way, like sitting there across the, across the way from somebody that you love and care for that, took their time to work for your company and have those conversations, but it was, it was the right thing to do. And you, you connect it back to like in the book, you talk about how you have to have this like very clear vision that has a big why that's long-term. Mm-hmm. How do people do that when they're in their first couple of years of business? Well, I think the concept that they would have a clear vision forever that's unchanging is probably false. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have a purpose that you come back to is not right. Right. And so you can, you, you start into that experience of saying, okay, well, I want out of my nine to five job, or I don't want to work at McDonald's because it's not fun or there's, there's no purpose or there's no soul in this company, whatever that thing is. And then it, it, it morphs into these moments where like, Oh, I see, you know, you know, for me, like, I love training jujitsu. I want more time to go to the gym or my son loves to fish. So I want more time to go, you know, hang out with him. Yeah. Oh wait, well, how do I create that time? And I, and I think these things all then lead to, or like in my life, I had, I had all these opportunities on these mission trips and stuff. So that created an opportunity Mm -hmm. to have that bigger purpose. But you know, at the end of the day, you go on a hunting trip or whatever, these guys like, what do you do for work? Well, I have a real estate company. Right, we, we can create something that runs and operates even when we're not there. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that I had this incredible realization over the last year or two is it's so much less money to have that incredible, extraordinary life than what people think. Hmm. Like, I have to make millions and millions of dollars. No, you don't. No, you don't. You, you need to take more time to think about what it is that you want to create which therefore gives you that opportunity mm-hmm. to be strategic. Like I want people to be extraordinary life ninjas. You know what I mean? Like cut that stuff out. If it's not serving you, cut it out. And then that gives you all that much more time to think about the things that you do want to do. What kind of things do people need to cut out? Well, I guess it, it really depends on, on their own life, right? But so I can, I can speak to myself, which was the thoughts and stories we tell ourselves. I mean, that's a huge one. Because we have the, everybody has stuff that we experience as kids um, that have, they create these subconscious stories that are programs at play. And when we catch, when we finally realize what these stories are, you know, it's like when you sit there and you're like, oh, Nathan, you know, you sucked at that. You didn't do a good job. Why didn't you do blah, 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 blah. How many people do that? Mm-hmm. Everybody, right? Everybody. 
And guess what happens? That thing either, it runs as a, as a line back down, or you can catch yourself and say, hold on, like, why am I, why am I talking, you know, this to myself? It's so negative. And so then we have an opportunity. The more times we find these things that show up, we can reprogram ourselves, which then reminds us of what we want to do. And mm-hmm. we go through and like, okay, how do I want to talk to myself? Mm-hmm. And then how do I want to have this moment and experience in my life? And then, you know, another thing, for instance, would be like, what are habits that we do that, that don't serve us? Or how do I rephrase that? Like in Atomic Habits, James Clear, I can restart my, my morning by having these things, habits stacked on top of each other. Yeah. What is that? Read, my, read a book, listen to a podcast, jump on your elliptical, you know, get outside. There's so many things that we can do that start like the trajectory of a morning, a day, a week that change everything. Yeah. And what happens when you just decide to live like that, but then your company is not ready for you to be separate like that? How do you deal with that push-pull? You know, delegating tasks and finding the right person to do it and incentivizing them and coaching them and building a culture while you're also like now kind of separating yourself in a certain way. Yeah. You know, this is a... So Jocko, I love Jocko and he wrote, you know, a number Mm -hmm. of really amazing books, but um, dichotomy leadership is the one that makes me think of in this, this case, you know, because there's this dichotomy of when you hire somebody, it actually requires more of you, not less of you. Mm -hmm. And most people think like, oh, uh, what, and Emith talks about this, like you go, you go hire somebody and you're like, here you go, be my accountant, but you didn't actually give them any, you know, direction. Do they have clear, you know, um, processes to follow and then you go through and like let me show you how to do it let's do it together you show me you know how to do it now i hand off a task and i think it's very hard for visionary type people to be patient enough to work through that process yeah and you know i just hired a an executive assistant recently and i told her from the beginning i'm like you're gonna screw stuff up i'm gonna screw stuff up so let's be clear we're both gonna screw stuff up absolutely so that's our baseline and number two, everything's going to take longer than what we want it to. You know, you're going to want it to go a thousand miles an hour and take everything off my plate. I'm going to want it to. Guess what? It's not going to happen. So that's okay. It's going to take six to 12 months to, to get like at a baseline place where we can really operate. Mm-hmm. And we've had heart to heart conversation already. Like she was stressed out and I'm probably putting too much on her plate and not giving enough direction. I was like, listen, I need you to tell me right? Because sometimes I don't even see these things. But at the end of the day, if we're going to make this work long-term, we have to have communication. Mm -hmm. And then we can come back to the thing that what we wanted to be when we started. Mm. Like readdress. All right. Is this what it was? Are we following our plan? Did we have a plan? (laughs) Let's make sure we look back through and and make sure we're addressing in that way. And then there's that dichotomy of pulling, pulling out as you you have more space and you say, Hey, do you feel good about it? Do you understand what's happening? And so there's that dichotomy of coming in and out of the business as, as you, you know, see that and, mm-hmm. and having, taking the time to have the pulse of what's going on and recognize that sometimes you have to be more in, in the business and sometimes you can pull away. Yeah. So you can pull away as you're seeing someone be more self-sufficient, but in the beginning you need to give even more of yourself. I think so. Process. Yeah, I think so. Because you owe it to that person. They've, they've given their, their time and their life, really, their essence to be there in the service of what you want to do. Yeah. And uh, that's, a, that's a huge responsibility to hold. And, uh, you know, I don't think I really appreciated it 
in my 20s and 30s as much as I do now because, you know, before I just get frustrated and like, why is this person doing this job? In reality, guess whose fault it was? Yours. Mine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I take that seriously. And, uh, you know, when I hire people now, I, I take it. I take it really seriously. I, and I don't think I really understood that and appreciated it in the same way as I do now. How do you decide who you're going to work with versus who you're going to give one of your leaders, you know, they're working with a new employee? You work with every new employee or? No, it, it right. depends. You know, so if it, it depends on like who's, who's, um, what job they're doing and where they sit in the organization. Mm-hmm. So if it's somebody like on a sales side of things that's having like sales conversations, like I, I'm the best one at, in my business to do that. And so I'm having that conversation. You know, if it's on you know, project management in the field, like I'm not the best guy to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to, you know, give that responsibility to somebody else on my team who does that job yeah. and who's really good at it. Or like walking a house for design wise, what do we want it to look like? Or, you know, I've been buying and doing a lot more Airbnbs lately too. So we have quite a few of the kind of luxury types. So this is the vision, what we want this thing. This is the look and feel and the type of finishes. And so if I want to know for sure that that's the outcome, then I need to set the expectation. Yeah. It, you said in your book, um, something about like, uh, I have, I've got the line here is like your team is the, is the most important asset that you have. And it's the great relationships you build within your team that are some of your biggest rewards in business. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a team that operates cohesively, then how can you have any of those other things? Because if you're always constantly chasing that team or chasing that vision or chasing the leadership and management of that team, then how can you create that time and space for doing the things that you wanted to do? So as entrepreneurs, I've noticed that we go through a lot of personal development exercises, activities. You pay six figures a month or a year for coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just, we're inundated in this world of like the principles of like the proper way to live. But sometimes employees we hire didn't come from that. And I've noticed at times it's really, I have to like have compassion and recognize like this person's a lot younger than me. They did not like come from this kind of a background. They haven't been immersed in this for years and years and years. I noticed you have this like one-to-one approach, but are there any other things you do culturally within your team and organization to instill the greater sense of purpose, to like help them, you know, stop these spiraling downward stories, things of that nature? Sure. Well, there's a couple things. Number one, I, we haven't done it in a few months, but for years, we literally read a book together every week. Hmm. So I picked all of the classics, whether it's Atomic Habits, 4-Hour Work Week, you know, Jocko Willink's um, Extreme ownership on and on good to great Mm -hmm. and so we would just read together because i was like if i can't expect that they're going to read but if i set it as an expectation and we do it together then what are they gonna do they're on the team and they're around the table and we're gonna read the book how does that look like you just have a meeting set every week that Mm -hmm. everyone the company goes to to talk about a book correct yeah we would literally sit at a table together for an hour and a half and we have check-in time and we talk about whatever's going on in the business and then for 30, 45 minutes we read and yeah. I'll facilitate that book. Gotcha. And, uh, and I, I enjoyed doing that personally because I really like, I like that mental challenge and growth of, of that. And even, even now as a company, we sit down and we, we check in and I ask questions that like, I think most companies, most people would be like, holy cow, like you asked that kind of question. Um, like what? Like what's the biggest challenge that, you know, as an organization that we've, we failed on this or what's the, what's the, what's the hardest, you know, what's going on in your life that you want to change next year and how, 
how can we as a team support you? Mm. Literally like, and then how do you hold them, help hold themselves accountable for those things? And uh, I like having those conversations. There's a story in the book of Abby who um, you know, paid off her house. She had all this real estate, but she did, she couldn't quite see the pieces of how to put it together. Yeah. And so this that's your COO. Yeah. 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 And th- that's the same thing is like, I have these one-on-one conversations with people and they're all very different, but I tell them from the beginning, like, Hey, I'm, I want you to be successful, not just in like working in a, in a job. I, I want you to be successful in, in the biggest and most beautiful, profound mm-hmm. way in your life. Mm-hmm. And if you have a challenge and I can help you, I'm going to be upset if you don't bring it to me because I want to help. And if I don't know the answer, then I will help find somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also helped you create that like, open dialogue, open communication with people that, uh, you know, from the beginning, we set that expectation and we have an open conversation and, and real conversation. So you've done like that. And then now you're in a phase of like letting people go that you had like that dynamic with for years. Mm-hmm. How yeah. are you, how are you staying sane in your mental health? <laughs> well, weigh on me for sure. I mean, I cried for two days, you know, it sucked. Uh, yeah. but at the same time, those are the moments where you have to say, I actually, I'm not serving this person well if it's not serving the business well, which is not serving me and my family well. Mm. And, um, and so that's, those kind of decisions are hard. But at the same time, there's things that I have to ho- have ownership of and there's things that I don't have to have ownership of. And that's one of those things is that I cannot take ownership of their whole life, mm-hmm. right? I could take ownership of the responsibility of them being in, in that job and doing that thing. And then, you know, most of those people that we did end up letting go, I called, I made personal phone calls to personal friends to help find as many jobs as I could help. And, uh, and we gave, you know, severance and, and I had a real conversation. Like we didn't have somebody come in and sit there and tell them, you know, sorry, you're fired. It was with me. And I had every one of those conversations. Wow. Yeah. And Abby at the time, the COO, you know, and we, <laughs> we, it was horrible. But you know what? I have seen probably three or four of those people in the last three months. And I had um, hugs and love and conversation and connection with every single one of them. Yeah. Can you teach us like your philosophy about like the business serving your life and your purpose? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, it almost feels like we serve the business because the business is a thing that serves all of us. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, is it just the founder's business? Like, how do you think about if it should serve you or you and your employees? Yeah, what's that mix look like for you? So there's three components. You know, I think a lot of times we think about serving ourselves or maybe we think about serving our team, but then we also have that client or that um, who's the recipient of that end result, right? And so I was, I was turned on to a term by amazing lady coach. Her name's Annie Yatch and uh, SEAL team leaders. And uh, so she talked about a DES, desired uh, end state. Hmm. And so we th- think about like, what is the desired end state for all three of those different entities? And, and they can be different, right? They most likely are different. And so my desired end state as an owner is to, you know, work five or 10 hours a week and make a ton of money serve a bunch of people, do amazing things, play golf a couple times a week. I'm obsessed. Go hunt, you know, 30, 40, 50 days a year. So those things might not resonate with my team at all. And that's okay, right? It doesn't matter. 
Because that's for me. It's, it's not for them. And then the team, so we actually sat the team down and we had a desired end state for that, for them, right? What do you guys want? What do you want your work experience to be like? And what do you, culturally, are, you know, are we in alignment with what we're, what we're doing? And then we wrote a desired end state for the client. So like, what is the feeling of our product and how do they experience our brand? And what is it that uh, we want that person to experience, you know, beyond just buying a piece of real estate or, or whatever that might be. And so I think when you come to that, and then you can use that as your litmus test. Like, am I, am I checking this box? Like, does it, am I actually, the things that I'm doing, are they actually serving to the end of creating that mm-hmm. desired end state? And then there's two checks on it, right? So is this, is this still in alignment with what I want my life to be like, my mm-hmm. experience to be like? And number two is if yes, then, you know, one of those little pie charts, right? With the, the, the boxes and the arrows, like, if, is this still true? Yes. Great. Am I doing that? No. What do I need to change? Right. And then it's easy to start to come back through that. And then somebody on your team says, Hey, like, I'm not, this is a problem or that I'm not enjoying this or it's not working. Okay. Is it in our, you know, did our desired end state for our team or this person change? And then what do we need to do about it? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really beautiful way to, to come to it. And here's the other thing too, is that one of the, one of the questions in uh, Chris Voss's book, which I, the name of it is escaping me. At never the split the never difference. Split the difference. was like the why question versus what and how. Mm-hmm. And like, why do you feel that way? <laughs> it feels, it feels like I'm aggressive Hard at you. Hard to right? know that. Yeah. Yeah. But what would make a change? Like, or how would you like to see this change? Or how would you like your experience at work to be different? And, and so if we are in tune enough with with ourselves, first of all, and we have, we, we have enough self-love and we, we don't have the fear of saying like, all right, well, if I screwed something up or the team's not having the right experience or my client's not having the right experience, I'm willing to ask the question, what now? Like, what, what did we screw up and how do we fix it? Yeah. And so we can really come You're back. not scared of what the answer is going to be? No. Yeah. No, because if you're scared of the answer, then that's all about you. Right. Because it, you're just, you're in your own way. Instead of saying, cool, we screwed it up, tell me. Like, I want to know. Because guess what else that creates? Creates uh, connection, it creates trust, and it creates an opportunity to fix it. So you said you want to work five to 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like kind of the things you aren't doing for your work. You wrote about those in the book that you've given these, these big parts of, you know, not like closing the deals. You're not walking the properties, all that. It sounds like uh, you're doing a lot of this internal work in your company, like creating the right culture and coaching the leaders. Is that essentially what you're doing for work? Yeah, it is. Now, I will say uh, over the last you know, three, four, five months, I've bought a handful of you know, Airbnb properties, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I have walked them just because it was kind of like almost coming home for me. Like, all right, well, you know, it's kind of fun to go walk that trashed out house and, and have a conversation with the contractor when I'm not doing it at scale, I'm doing it because I'm super pumped about buying this house. And, and, um, so that's been fun. And, uh, but I'm not trying to do that like day in and day out. And then I really love talking on the topic of the book and, and, uh, not just because I wrote it, but like talking about the actual concepts of like, how do we really empower people to make those choices and, Mm -hmm. and change? So, any opportunity I have to talk about that, I'm just probably tell I'm fired up. I love talking about it and I love 
how do we have those same conversations or we create space to have those conversations mm -hmm. and then when we create space for that then other people feel uh, feel that ability to be vulnerable or to, to um, put those same things out that they want Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Nathan Brooks on accessing your greater purpose and building an extraordinary life through real estate investing. Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Nathan, talking about accumulating wisdom through coaches and mentors, his advice in handling responsibilities and intimate relationships, and many more interesting topics.